Hey, thanks for listening to Major Revisions. I'm coming to you from the Rachel Carson statue outside the Forestry and Natural Resources building here at Purdue University. And it's cold and it's snowy and I forgot my jacket, so I'm going to go in. But I want to say thanks for listening to the show and remind you that if you can, get in touch with us at Major Revisions Show at gmail.com or major underscore revisions on Twitter. Some of you already have over the past few years. Uh, and it's great and we love talking to you and I'll try to do better about responding to emails on time and with that also hey rate and review us on iTunes all that jazz anyway here's the show I also screw up the intro to that Jeff Atkins from Virginia Commonwealth University, joined as always by limnologist Grace Wilkinson from Iowa State <laughs> University, and John Walter from the University of Hard Knocks. Grace, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. The semester started today, uh, so I'm I'm teaching intro biology, which means I'm thinking about things that I haven't thought about in a decade, and that's been interesting. I had how to remind myself. Class? 232 students. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So. Know their I, names yet? All of them. Absolutely. Half of them are named Kelly and the, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> the rest are Johns and Jakes. Um, no, so Hello, it's, it's, Midwest. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good crew, I think. So I think I, I might have the biggest section in the department of the biggest class right now. So, Excellent. in my head, I'm going to say I'm the most popular professor right now, Boom. even though I know that's not true. And a lot, you know, it's before the drop period, so I bet a lot of them will leave, but <laughs> that's okay. Really, all that matters is that you get that chili pepper, and that's right. And you're good to go. <laughs> that's right. Do people still use uh, Rayman Professor? I have no idea, because... No, I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I feel about Rate My Professor how I feel about the job wiki. It's a place where I would go to obsess and not feel good about myself. So, I don't know. The the internet is a vile and loathsome place. It is. It is. So, I have a, I have a proposal for you all. Um, a lot of people don't like New Year's resolutions. I actually do like New Year's resolutions, but I wanted to put a twist on it and uh, do a little round robin here. And think about one thing that we want to leave in 2017. And you can define that however you want to. And one thing that we're excited about for 2018. Um, John, I'm going to let you go first because I haven't actually given a lot of thought to this. And I know you're a really thoughtful guy. All right. And we can always edit out dead space too. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, so this is actually sort of a a little bit of a a throwback. Um, I think last year one of my resolutions was to get involved in another scientific society at not just oh, not yeah. just the ecological society of america um so in 2017 i was a member of the entomological society of america but i want to leave that <laughs> uh in favor of the society for conservation biology is it because you were a part of ESA and ESA and that got really confusing? It is really confusing, um, <laughs> deeply and <laughs> existentially because, all right, so 
this is not really the the whole reason, but a really confusing part of this is that people who consider themselves entomologists refer to the Entomological Society of America as ESA, and people who consider themselves ecologists refer to the Ecological Society of America as ESA, and the Entomological Society as ENTSOC. And I don't... What? Yes. And I, I don't know what people who consider themselves first entomologists and second ecologists call the Ecological Society of America, but... Exoc. ESA. Probably. Probably something like that. Um, John, John, I have an idea for you. What? Um, there's funding right now, there's funding right now through the European Space Agency to work on remote <laughs> sensing of, like, relevant conservation interests, like using new tools. So... You could combine your work in entomology, right? Like, so with this program, so you could be funded by the ESA to do work that would fall under the umbrella at ESA that you could then present at ESA 2018 in lovely New Orleans, Louisiana. ESA. I hate you. Time three. Because <laughs> <laughs> your mind just blew, like, right there. The mind did. Acronym I think they're based in Leiden, though. Like, it's a nice place. I mean, you can just bike around all day in your wooden shoes. <laughs> look at tulips. Uh, Whatever they do there. Yeah, so... It's a nice place. Yeah, no, my... my, I had enough existential angst over being a member of two ESAs. <laughs> if I got funding from a third, <laughs> I don't even know what I would do. Isa. So, so is the is the thing that you're excited about in 2018 being a Society for Conservation Biologist? Yeah, I like that. You did a combo one, nicely done, nicely done. I'm all about synergy, Jeff. That's going to be the thing I leave in 2017. Made up <laughs> words, Grace. <laughs> Grace, what 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 do you want to leave in 2017? Uh, what do I want to leave in 2017? I want to leave my inability to say no to things behind. And in 2018, I want to embrace the ability to say no to things. Feel, you see what I did there? I feel like there's a, a theme there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was recently putting together some of my documents for my annual review and looking at some of the lopsidedness of my commitments and thinking, oh, shit, this has to change. So I can only imagine what my department chair will say. Probably something like, oh, shit, this has to change. So that's that's my resolution. Say no. Say no. I like it. So have you been, been roped into doing a lot of non-research, non-teaching obligations? Roped in implies as though it was against my will, and I think that's probably an inaccurate characterization. I've been given the opportunity to participate in a lot of things, and I have been the one to not say no. I mean, I so, was giving you um, the benefit of the doubt there, Jay. Yeah, no, I, and, and in fact, my department has been extremely protective of me in terms of a lot of things. Like, I am technically on a member of a departmental committee, but this committee has never met, nor do I know who the other members are. So that's my only current service to the department. Beautiful. Um, but it's it's all the other shit that I do to myself. I wish we were all so lucky. Yeah, well, 
Yeah. How about you, Jeff? I'm gonna try, and I want to say goodbye to to poor time management. It's something I want to work on in next year. It's a strong. That's, that is pretty much really just a straight New Year's resolution. It's like being spread very thin, and then you know finding myself working like kind of all crazy hours. Um, so I need to figure out a way to do that. I think it involves better scheduling. I'm not really sure. Like, I feel like at this point, like we all have are inundated with a series of tools, uh, various types from things on our phones to scheduling apps and whatnot, and then just finding what actually works. So maybe I want to pare down the extraneous things in my life, like Facebook and uh, stuff like that, that I don't even really use all that much anyway, but I want to get rid of a lot of things. I think the answer is saying no. Yeah. Is it saying no? Well, I mean, I want to be able to keep track of all the things that I need to say no to. So, you know what? Something I did, uh, this was originally unintentional. Um, right after the semester ended in December, I got really, really sick. Like, super sick, had to go to the hospital. Oh. Um, yeah. And so oh, I wasn't really? answering my emails. And... Uh, that stressed me out, but it turns out it stressed a lot of other people out, but it's because they didn't know things like my lunch order for the next day for a meeting. And that didn't matter because I had an IV in my arm, right? <laughs> and so I didn't need lunch. Um, I had it. Uh, but the, so what I ended up doing because I was so stressed out is I turned my email notifications off on my phone and I haven't turned them back on since. And then we're coming up on what, three weeks now. And it has been one of the most stress-reducing things that I have done in the past year. Hmm. So I'm just putting that out there. Consider turning your email notifications off on your phone. Can I, I tell you what's going to happen? Is that someone's going to listen to this, and they're going to hear the words that you, you said there. But what they're really going to take home is, since she had an IV in her arm, she didn't have to take the time to eat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So if I just put an IV in, I'll get so much more work done. Yeah. Well, it, it also helped with that New Year's resolution, you know, that common one of losing weight, right? Because I wasn't eating. So <laughs> it's really killing two birds with one stone there. To be to be um, very podcast-centric, though, one of the things I'm definitely looking forward to this year is that I think we, we hopefully plan to bring a lot more interviews onto the show. And um, yes. I'm kind of excited about that and to do something else. I also want to learn how to screen print things because I have to do stuff that involves actually working with my hands where I go kind of insane. Um, so that's going to be the thing that I learned. My youngest son and I are learning to draw right now. Um, I'm not very good, but he's awesome. And uh, so it's been kind of fun. You want to help me renovate a house? Yeah, dude, of course. All right, let's do it. I, I already know like construction stuff. However, don't necessarily trust me to wire things because I have a long habit of poorly running ground wires and catching things on fire. But that said, good to um, know. Not had any issue. I have not had any issues in the seven, eight years that I've been working with field work. So I think that's I'm past that point. All right, good. Well, I I got a kitchen project. If y'all are looking for a place to start, just letting you know. Oh man, hell yeah, I'll come. Spin off, all right. Spin off podcast. That's right. That's right. Just major, major renovations. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. 
Just uh, just buy me some Mr. Burrito and I'm there. Yes. All right. Perfect. You can have all the Mr. Burrito you want. 2018 is going to be the year of burritos for me. That was actually my real resolution that I was joking with the kids. I was like, one burrito a week. It's going to be awesome. God, you're such a role model as a father, Jeff. It's amazing. So, speaking of young children, um, and I'm doing poor transitions, <laughs> what is our topic this week, Grace? Yeah, so one of the things that we wanted to discuss, um, and if you've been on the Twitter sphere in the past week or so, you might have noticed that there was some controversy and some advice being thrown around about how to write grad admissions essays and also how we need to value students that are applying. And it really turned into this, I think, really productive conversation about who scientists are and their paths and their journeys and how that's just as important as their brains and their smarts. Um yeah, so, but it started with a, a person who tweeted, I wish I had the direct tweet in front of me, perhaps you do, Jeff, um, about how it's so annoying when students it. start there. Yeah? I was going to bring it up, but I was like, maybe I shouldn't do straight dragging to start off at 2018. But the the gist yeah. of it was basically like, how about how formulaic all the admissions essays were, but... And in particular, that they start with the phrase, since I was young, dot, 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 um, which has spawned a hashtag, of course, of hashtag since I was young. Um, and that since it's very, it was seen by some people as very, I don't know, trite or saccharine, that essay started that way, um, which there was some pushback about, right? So yeah. that pushback being related to that... Um, well, first of all, let's just all say the essay prompts for grad admissions essays suck. Um, and they're really poorly worded. And unless you have an insider information, in other words, you have good mentors or, and which means you've been able to be a part of a lab, maybe volunteering, things like that, then you might not know how to write that really good quality essay. Uh, and I put quality in big quotes, but you can't see that because this is a podcast. I mean that in the sense that, um, you know how to play the game such as it is. Um, and instead that the since I was young trope is actually really important because it, it speaks to who, what motivates students and makes them passionate. Do you guys say that's a fair characterization? I think it's an excellent characterization. And honestly, like when this kind of first broke, I my first impulse was, yeah, maybe she has a point, right? It was, yeah, you know, Essays are have, you know, poor prompts, but it is something to like show some skill to kind of work with a poor prompt. But it was actually kind of like as I followed the chain and saw the responses and saw the digging in, and then I kind of saw exactly where this person was coming from that I was like, oh yeah, we're totally talking about two completely different things here. You're just kind of being a jerk and you're dissing like all these students, which also like there was the extra layer of the fact that, you know, what if some of those people applying to your big fancy, fancy, PhD program in a big city that won't be mentioned um, <laughs> actually follow you on Twitter and are seeing you kind of drag them here in front of everyone. Wow, that's, that doesn't look good, you know? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Um, it kind of absolutely. And then the, my other thing was that I um, I thought at the time I was like, well, I had already been like a semi, like a, you know, doing like press releases and professional writing. I want to go back and look at my essay 
surely I didn't start off my essay with since I was young and didn't write this cliched thing. Can I read you the first line of my essay because I found it today? Yes, you please ready? do. When I was a child, <laughs> blah, 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 and then I go on to talk about my dad. So I did the exact same thing. Um, uh, so no hate here. Keep doing it. <laughs> John, what was your take on all this? Well, all right. So one of my takeaways from it was just, you know, how different people would read different things into a you know, a, a, a prompt or, or a statement, um, made in, made in any medium. I think I, so I'm not on Twitter. I found out about this through you guys after this, you know, p- you know, tweet had started a big conversation and I kind of looked through a little bit of the thread and I kind of realized like, you know, if I had looked at this, um, if I had just looked at the first tweet, I probably would have been like, all right, cool. That's boring. Fine. Um, and, and not really giving it a second thought, but, you know, I found that a lot of the people who did feel compelled to respond to it brought up some good points about, um, you know, about sort of the, the importance of a person's motivation and personal narrative and, um, you know, and, and also the role of, of privilege um, Grace, you mentioned, you know, sort of knowing how to play the game. And, uh, that often comes from a place of, of privilege, um, and, and how that can, you know, shape the way a person crafts an essay. Um, so I think that there were a lot of rep- important responses to that, um, and valid responses to that, that I w- maybe wouldn't have thought of initially. Um, I sort of think there are a lot of different layers to this response. Like there's sort of a, on one level, um, at criticism or advice on how to, you know, craft a good admissions essay, um, but also these other, you know, race and privilege issues, and uh, also some thoughts on how to just not look like a jerk on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. I think, so kind of following up on some of those um race and privilege issues that were raised as well. I think a a lot of the commenters, a number of commenters on the original tweet had noted that it's a lot about who you are as a person and the passion that you have, um, that like your smarts are not going to carry you through grad school. Shit's going to get tough. And is there something else behind there that's going to continue to motivate you? Um, and that a lot of underrepresented minority students, URMs is often an abbreviation that's used for that is, um, sometimes worry that telling their story there since I was young um, might be seen as trite or trying to gain sympathy points or whatnot. And it's not, it's just a reflection of who they are. And um, tweets such as the one that set this off really don't help continue to block those sort of, those sorts of people and those sorts of students with Mm -hmm. those experiences out of our field. And we desperately need everyone in our field who wants to be here because we got some real problems to solve. Yeah, that was, that was definitely one major criticism. This too, was that it seemed like she was definitely taking a negative or doing a negative portrayal of people who told a narrative story 
in their essay. And that's something that scientists have been, you know, are increasingly asked to do more of like in, in our writing and particularly in our presentations is to create that narrative story. Right. Um, uh-huh. and to, to be able to frame the kind of research and to block out people who are coming from that kind of perspective seems also counterintuitive. Um, and also, like you bring up the you know the, the URM or underrepresented minorities and whatnot, um, I, I was unaware that a lot of people actually get like professional training and guidance, or some do, in in making in these essays and applications. I should like we literally just did book review or book club on the professors and someone who does actual you know professional consultation with people applying to tenure track jobs, but. I was unaware that there are people who apply or who get professional guidance on these application essays or whatnot, um, which also strongly disadvantages typically underrepresented minorities or, you know, people who come from more socioeconomic or less privileged socioeconomic backgrounds who don't have, you know, however much that costs to do. So, you know, or, yeah, or, or even just don't go to the type of institution where, professors have time to do that for all of their students, right? Like, I mean, I didn't seek out professional help on my grad admissions essays, but I went to a private liberal arts college where, you know, students, you know, really did have, or sorry, professors really did have the time to um, give attention to you know, their students who were applying to graduate schools and to jobs and, um, and what have you and provide feedback for them on how to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, th- there, yeah, I guess my point is that like, you know, privilege can show up in a lot of different ways. Yeah. My, uh, professors at UNCA were like, you're applying to grad school. That's neat, man. <laughs> you should probably like wear a jacket or something when you go on an interview. I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the help. Oh my goodness. So John, you also brought up, and I think Jeffy did too, a point about like people being jerks on Twitter. Uh, it, is that like a, is there a common pattern of behavior that we sometimes, or you've observed? And people so, that you walk away going, wow, they're a jerk. So here, here's how I see it go down. I think it's also like the presidency. I think it tells you a lot about a person and lets you see who you really are. Um, there's a general pattern, I think, particularly to the science flavor of Twitter downfall. What it is, is person makes a comment and Typically at first, like you read the comment and you're like, huh, I wonder if they mean what I think they mean. Somebody will politely call them out. And then at that point, there are generally two reactions. There's either the one where somebody goes, oh, totally. Hey, that's not what I meant. This is totally misinterpreted. Here's what I was actually trying to say. Apologies for how that was. Let me go back and delete the original tweet. Sorry. Or two, they double down. And then they will usually follow up with a second statement, um, perhaps maybe a second statement about how they don't give a shit whether or not your grandmother or your uncle or whoever died from Alzheimer's and that somehow greatly impacted your life. That second statement is usually the one where you're like, 
okay, this person's an asshole. <laughs> and then it just goes from there, right? And then at that point, there's the blocking and then the retweets and then the, the piling on. And then somebody's looking for someone's address. And then it's a whole thing at that point. And you're talking about yeah. it on a the leading ecology podcast in the world a week later. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag world star. Um, so that's how I see it going down. I don't know. John, you said you're not on Twitter, but how does this thing, how does this, how does this play out to people outside the Twitter verse? Cause it's also a loathsome and vile place. No, I mean, I mean, I think that you kind of, you know, hit the nail on the head. It's like, you know, there are some in instances where people, uh, you know, really double down and don't, um, understand or acknowledge that another reasonable person could, you know, take this in a way that wasn't intended, um, and, you know, and, and take this in, a, in an offensive way, um, is, is really kind of, uh, the, the swift path to, you know, looking like a jerk on Twitter. Um, you know, to be fair, in this, in this particular conversation, um, the, 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 you know, the person who kind of started this whole, uh, brouhaha did eventually apologize. And, and I think, um, you know, eventually did kind of see, another side to this um but it it definitely took a while wait they did yes yes was it like a real apology or was it like um it was like an al al franken kind of apology uh it it was it was a lot more sincere than al franken i don't know what you think i did i'm sorry that you or i I don't know. I don't think he even said I'm sorry. Uh, I guess people took it a different way than I saw it. Uh, was was sort of the Al Franken version. This was this was not this yeah. you know this person's version of the apology. I I think it was. Um, it at least had sort of the Twitter what whatever hallmarks you can give to sincerity over Twitter. Yeah. I w- I wish there was like a like a whole like a spectrum of, of ranking apologies that we could have like from the total non-apology to like the abstract weird apology like the Louis C.K. apology or whatever to what an actual sincere apology looks like. I'll, I'll have to go up and look that. I, I I gotta admit that I didn't see the apologies. So good. Well, on then there's the opposite of that, right? Which is claiming that the button on your desk is bigger than Kim Jong Un's. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what that's what. Sorry, was that too vague? Like. So, so, sorry for not laughing. I just I have hard I have a hard time laughing at that. <laughs> we laugh because we're terrified. Okay. Um. <laughs> anyway, okay, so so I have, I have a question for you. Then is what would a good application look like? So I guess one of the things that I think is a hallmark of a good application, um, probably twofold. First, in the essay, uh, regardless, uh, uh, um, 
I was going to say the ability to put a sentence together, but I, I can't clearly do that while I'm speaking right now. So that just, that point really falls flat. But, um, and then also the ability to show that they've thought about, um, ecology or environmental science, um, in a way that's going to be intellectually stimulating to them. So showing that passion, the since I was young story or the origin story or things like that, that's awesome. And that definitely demonstrates passion, but then also what's the intellectual curiosity side of it. If that's combined there as well, can be uh really help shine, make an application shine that in the letters of recommendation. That's probably the first thing I read anytime I get a student application. Yeah. So sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so I won't, I won't put you on the spot and, uh, ask you to read the, the whole first paragraph. Um, so I do think that since I was young or something like it can work. Um, I think the worst of grad school applications is like, sort of like, you know, since I was young, I have loved, been interested in, wanted to study X. Um, but there's no real context. There's no real development of a narrative about that. It's just, you know, this kind of like statement that's out there. I think that if you can develop a narrative of why you're motivated to do something and, um, and, and show that this is, you know, what, whatever, um, background you have has, you know, shaped, um, you know, what you care about and why. Um, but then also to be able to transition to, uh, you know, Grace's point of showing the intellectual maturity of articulating a, um, you know, legitimate research question or interest, um, even in a pretty broad sense. I think that those two things coupled together um, can make for a really strong application. What do you um, think, Jeff? So I, I totally, I should, I'll post this on the show notes, the actual first paragraph. I don't really care. It mostly rambles on. It shows about how my dad's kind of a jerk. But, um, <laughs> um, no, I, I feel like it's, it, and I'm thinking about the situation is I know I applied like five or six years out of school and like I had already had a job and been working and done stuff and I try to put myself in the position of where a lot of people would be coming from at this, right? Maybe you're fresh out of college. You don't know anything. And it's also like this paradox. You're being asked to write this like statement of purpose, right? About what, how you, and Grace, like you made the point, like the prompts are so vague because yeah. I'm not really sure what they're asking you to do. Like, are you trying to portray yourself as how you imagine what you would be like in grad school? Well, that's a paradox because you don't know. You're not in grad school. If you're lucky, maybe you, and you went to like a big R1 school, maybe you've gotten to kind of see what grad students look like, but most of your interactions have probably been them as TAs in your earlier lab courses or something, right? So you're starting from this point where you have virtually no information about this. So the natural tendency would be to fall back to that, like write a narrative story about what it is that motivates me. But I think it's one of those things that it's, you hear this phrase that goes through writing a lot of times, like particularly in creative writing of show, don't tell. And I think just following good writing advice like show, don't tell is probably the best advice. Cause I don't think there's, 
one right way to write these type of essays, but there sure as hell are a lot of wrong ways to write them. And um, there's probably a lot of right ways to write them as well. Right? So I think it's more about just focusing on writing the thing well and trying to stick to what you want to present. Like, you want to focus about your motivations and just go with that. But I think my second piece of advice would be find someone to read it for you. Um, it doesn't have to be a highly trained consultant that you pay thousands of dollars to. It can be a friend of yours, right? But like get someone to read it and offer like constructive feedback. I think that's actually a good piece of advice for any writing is to find someone who you can trust, who can be fairly severe with you and offer constructive feedback. And I think this is something to do that. But I mean, I guess my main thing would be to think about show and don't tell. And you know, that's a hard thing to really translate though, other than say, like, I can give you examples of what showing and not telling looks like. But I mean, if you've seen a bad movie, you know it, right? <laughs> like, like you don't want a lot of narrative exp- explication, like over something, like just get to the point and show it. Yeah. So that's the only thing I can really think of. Cause like you said, they're vague. You have no information going in what they're looking for. You have no idea if jerk ladies on the committee or if um, you have no idea whether or not it's being read before lunch or after lunch. There's all this stuff out of your control. You, the thing you can control is how well it's written. Well, and you know, another thing I would probably throw out there is we are in the field of ecology, and so we don't do rotations and things like that. You, If you're writing your graduate admissions essay, that means you have contacted the PI first and found out if they have opportunities and things like that, right? And so that's also a good time during that conversation, which hopefully you will be having some sort of phone or Skype conversation, to also ask about the nature of the admissions process. And you might find out, like at ISU, I don't really care about the essay that much, and we don't care about it. There's other things that we're looking at. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think the other you know thing that I would would raise is you know to think about your audience, Um and, you know, yeah, that's definitely a hard thing to do if you don't have, you know, good mentorship or guidance or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, Grace raises a good point of, you know, bring that up with your prospective advisor because they can um, provide advice that's, you know, not just tailored to your field, but tailored to a particular department. Um but uh but yeah, you know if 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 you think about what um you know what the person reading the essay is likely to be interested in, uh that can, you know, kind of shape what you uh what you talk about and, and how you frame that narrative. Um, you know, I'm advising someone right now who's applying to to grad school and applying to a few different types of programs. And so, um, you know, you know, quite rightly and really without a lot of prompting from me, um, that person has kind of tailored the way that she frames her interests and goals to meet the, you know, the focus of different programs that she's applying to and, um, different advisors she's applying to. And, and so that's a really good, uh, really good strategy, um, in terms of, you know, making yourself, 
uh, look like the right fit for a given uh, given program and a given application. So, John, I want to get to this point. You brought up uh, two really in- interesting things. One, about what the audience of the application is. I'm going to get back to that. But I think you bring up the point that was kind of the easiest of the frustration here was that the audience for this, and this is probably something we should elaborate for people, and, and Grace, you and John can probably inform people more on this than I can, is most of the time, like, who is on the actual admissions committee, right? Like, it's typically, it's usually, like, assistant or associate professors, right? Yeah, some mix in the program. Right. Right, so it's typically pretty, you know, people who are kind of stressed out for time anyway. Um, a lot of these positions, there's not that many of them, and there's lots of applications, so is it too coarse to say that they're kind of looking for reasons to eliminate people? Mm, I, I think that's missing the, it really depends on the program, but okay. it's a lot more about the fact that you've contacted that PI before, they've had conversations mm-hmm. with you, they feel good about you, and they're okay. going to go to the admissions committee. I, I Just to give you an idea at ISU. We write letters saying, I want this student, and here's why, and then here's their application that you can also look at as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and, and the- so I, I think conceivably, although I probably have less real insight into this um, than Grace does, you know, if, if you have an advisor picked out, um, then an admissions committee, you know, a, a department-level admissions committee or a, um, you know, university level admissions committee might have some criteria for who might be the best applicant, but it it really comes down in most cases in ecology to, you know, who does the advisor want? Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of the original start of this was from biology and like biomedicine pre and, and, you know, related kind of programs, which, don't necessarily act the same way that ecology does, right? No, they have an, usually an admissions pool of students that, so you do have that committee and you have to impress them. And then those students yeah. go through rotations and then are invited into labs. So yeah, very different ballgame. So I think the strategy would be totally different. And I could be making this up, but like the monotony of seeing, you know, the sentence every time probably what elicited the original frustration. I was just seeing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. At that point, like, I don't know what the game theory approach is that you go to really stand out. Uh, I don't know if you want to start off with a quote, like, from your mother who's, I, I don't mean this to be coarse at all, but, like, your grandmother who's dying from Alzheimer's or, or something. I don't know how you would approach it, but that seems like a much more onerous issue to face. Then, like you said, like when typically like ecology programs, environmental science programs, like my application wasn't even looked like looked at until like I had contacted someone, mm-hmm. um, right, and like actually like interviewed and like met with a PI. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case necessarily, broadly speaking, in biology, biomedicine, etc. But I guess one thing that I would say is if you are thinking about writing an NSFG RFP. You have to write a version of this essay, a -hmm. personal statement, right? And that's probably, I'm thinking back to what I wrote for mine, and I'm pretty sure I have a since I was young type paragraph in there, too. So 
Despite it not being for grad admissions, it's probably an essay you might write at some point, potentially. So what do you think separates the good ones from the eh? The since I was young is maybe an illustration of who you are and a vulnerability, but the uh, rest of the essay has to do with the substance of science and who you are intellectually. And then maybe circle that back to the who you are emotionally as well, presenting that whole package, but... If the whole thing There's is about a... since I was young and I wanted to hug sea turtles, then you're in trouble. But because you haven't, you're, you're trying to ask somebody for a lot of time and money to do science. And so you also have to demonstrate the, the zeal for the science as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a really big and fundamental difference between, you know, since I was young as an introductory platitude to a generic essay and since i was young as a you know starting point for a narrative about who i am and why i'm motivated and what i'm excited about and you know and and who i am as a scientist um and in in the latter case i think that that's really effective in the former case then you know, it's, it's just another, um, you know, generic essay that probably isn't going to get people's attention. There, there is this, I don't even know if it's a myth or a legend, but there is tale of a graduate school, uh, essay for an English literature program, um, to a fairly, uh, prestigious school, like a UCLA or Stanford or something where the essay was simply, I would like to teach literature at a college level. To do this, I need a PhD. Here is my application. Supposedly it worked. Now, I don't know who this person is. A genius. (laughs) I don't know. You know, an alternative route might just be, you know, since I was young, I've dreamed of working with sea turtles, which, as you will note, under the latest NSF uh, Rules of Life Call Complexity Section 2, you will see this is clearly identified as a priority. And then just kind of list kind of like the funding items, maybe. I don't know if that's the way that you want to go. I see that working maybe with older PIs. Like, I don't know. Just thinking. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I- I, you know, maybe also you're, you're sort of hitting the nail on the, the head in the sense that um, the since I was young can be really effective if it's done with sincerity. Just like in any sort of writing, like people could tell when you're being sincere or not. If you're using it as a device to write an essay that it's what you think people want to hear, like you're probably not that good and people are going to recognize that. Just being sincere is important. Yeah. That's a good point. And people could have really compelling personal narratives, right? I mean, pretty much, you know, I think most people, when they're being sincere, have a compelling personal narrative. You know, some people's sound more more dramatic than others, perhaps, given, you know, whatever circumstances they have, you know, needed to deal with and overcome in their life. But, um, but yeah, sincerity is really key. And, um, you know, it, including details in your writing that are, you know, relevant, but not overbearing are a really good way to, 
um, to convey that sincerity. Absolutely. Well, we figured this out. Go us. <laughs> uh, Grace, your, uh, your colleague, Corey Welch, uh, had a good thread on this as well on Twitter. He we did. Could, uh, yeah. Let's we definitely sh- post that maybe with this episode so folks can go see. Um, Corey works as the, um, STEM, with the STEM Scholars Program leading it and he developed here at ISU and that's for, um, any STEM scholars, undergraduates at ISU, but specifically targeted towards, um, URMs, uh, and helping them pursue success in the STEM fields at ISU and beyond. So he's a pretty great guy and he even talks about his origin story. I won't give it away. You should go read it on Twitter. Maybe we'll get him to be on the podcast sometime soon. That'll be awesome when I, you know, when we figure out how to do like, uh, higher quality recorded interviews. It's totally a technical issue on my end, not an initiative thing. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, uh, guys, quality first episode there of 2018. Do you have any closing thoughts? That's right. We're just going to keep rising. It'll be fantastic. So if you want to check out more episodes, you should go online to all different sorts of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, we noticed that some folks have been leaving us comments on Stitcher. We see you, Jake Jake. Thank you for the nice comments and the nice rating. Uh, if you feel compelled to leave us a rating, especially if it's positive, please do. We love to see that, and it also helps boost where we are on those platforms. And you can also find us at Major Revisions show.com correct show.com yeah <laughs> <laughs> and follow us on uh, twitter at major underscore revisions um yeah john do you want to say good night good night <laughs>